Well, if you would, please turn with me in your Bible to the book of James. We will be reading today from chapter 3. If you're reading from the Pew Bibles, the black ones, this passage is found on page 1012, so James chapter 3. So I grew up in a large family. I was, the, I, I am the second oldest child of eight, and so we didn't do a lot of big trips. My parents liked to stay home. We did lots of staycations, but on the few occasions growing up where we went on a long trip, uh, we always traveled by car and took a road trip. Now, the thing about long road trips, when I look back at the long road trips I've taken, is how I tend to remember the negative things that happened on that road trip over the positive things. So, you know, I, I remember that we had a big, you know, big family. We Drove down to Georgia to visit family one summer, scorching heat, 15-passenger van, you know, no AC, the hot, sticky vinyl seats. You know, those are the kinds of things I remember. The road trip that gets repeated the most in my family occurred in the summer of 2004, and we were traveling from our home. I grew up in Minneapolis, up in, up in the north, uh, and we were visiting family down in Dallas, in the south. And, uh, and the directions between these two cities, between, you know, two, directions between two cities can't be easier than the directions from Minneapolis to Dallas. You just go south on Interstate 35 for 1,000 miles. That's it. One, one direction. You can't mess it up. It's 14 hours of driving time, and, and you can do it in a single day if you've got enough drivers uh, to rotate. And we did. Uh, the parents and oldest kids of the family, we could rotate. So... If you go south uh, on Interstate 35 from Minneapolis, at about the, close to the halfway mark, you come to uh, Kansas City, which lies on the border between Kansas and Missouri. And shortly before reaching Kansas City, one of my younger brothers took over driving from my father, who had been driving all day up to that point. It was early afternoon. My dad moved to the passenger seat to sleep. And you know, the rest of us were sitting in the back doing whatever used to do on road trips before we had iPads to keep ourselves company. But uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the interstate system in Kansas City, Interstate 35, which just goes south, for a, a brief segment, uh, connects up with Interstate 70, which runs east-west and actually travels. Uh, so we were traveling westward for what should have been a short segment. But my dad, who was sleeping, and my brother, who was driving, plus some construction, uh, missed the signs to turn, uh, to turn south. Now, if you keep going to Topeka, there's another chance to get down on, what is that, 335? You can do it again, but missed, missed that too, okay? Uh, now, there were signs that we were on the wrong path, uh, uh, but, but we missed them. For example, the lack of I-35 mile markers could have been one clue, maybe a subtle one. Um, or the sign that advertised Pike's Peak ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and on top of all of that, we were driving in by now in the late afternoon, which means that the sun is, you know, setting on, on the western horizon. And, uh, and it did not, we drove for six hours <laughs> until we saw the sign, welcome to Colorado. <laughs> so, when... Uh, Sometimes when navigating, it's as helpful to know the signs and the landmarks that indicate that we are on the right path as it is to, to understand and recognize the landmarks that show us that we are not on the right path so we can turn in the right direction. And in much the same way that these road signs and landmarks that we observe when driving provide assistance when navigating, so the book of James provides practical help for the Christian walk. So the book of James has been called by, referred to as the, as the wisdom literature of the New Testament, reflecting the fact that it, it encompasses much practical uh, instruction for how to lead a spiritual uh, life. And an overarching characteristic of the book, which we have been learning about through this sermon series in James, uh, is that 
the book provides road signs, signs that indicate when we are on the right path and signs that indicate uh, when we are not. For example, when it comes to receiving wisdom, James 1.5 says if you, know, if you are hoping to receive wisdom but, you, uh, but, you, uh, but you're doubting God, don't suppose that you will receive that wisdom. Or for producing righteousness, James 1 verses 19 to 20 says, you know, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if we see the anger, we're not producing righteousness. Or, uh, or for putting away wickedness, if we find ourselves to be hearers only of the word, we're not doing it. Uh, James tells us we are deceiving ourselves. Or for being religious, if we do not bridle our tongue, uh, our religion is worthless. Uh, if our faith does not have works, it's dead. Okay, so we just see so, sometimes these markers as much the markers that we're on the right path as the markers that we have deviated. So uh, in the passage we will cover this morning, James will provide road signs for identifying wisdom uh, in the Christian's life. And what we will see from this passage is that godly wisdom is identified primarily by conduct that reflects Christ and values others. So James chapter 3 we will read verses 13 through 18. Again, page 1012 in the Pew Bible. So please read with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so the first thing that we will see today is we are going to see uh, a classification of wisdom. James starts out by asking a question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? So, let's all ask that of ourselves this morning. I won't ask for a show of hands, uh, but ask yourself, am I wise and understanding? And then think about how you might answer that question uh, about yourself. I find that question challenging to answer. Am I wise and understanding? And I start to think about things like, well, what, what would I look for in my life uh, to indicate if, if I am wise. What are some of, the, some of these uh, evidences? What, what, is, what is wisdom? What does it mean to uh, be wise? So if we were to, you know, maybe, maybe instead of raising hands, do a, uh, an anonymous survey uh, of who is wise among us, how would you structure your response? Of course, it could be a simple yes or no, uh, Probably that's too simplistic. Uh, maybe you could rate your perceived level of wisdom on a scale from you know, one to ten. Uh, maybe I'm about a five, somewhere, kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, or one, being low, ten being. Okay. Uh, if, if there are experts here in survey design, maybe they would suggest responses like strongly agree or strongly disagree or the indefinite neither agree nor disagree. Okay, but... But all of these types of responses uh, maybe are, are lacking in kind of the appropriate understanding of wisdom, and James is going to help us think through this question, who is wise uh, and understanding among us? And I'd like to suggest that from this passage we see that thinking that we just rate our wisdom on a scale from low to high may accommodate an improper view uh, of wisdom. And that is because there's more than one type of wisdom. James points out that, there, that uh, 
wisdom, it's not so much about how wise you are, but rather where does your wisdom come from? What is the source of your wisdom? And that's going to be the focus of how James guides us through this question. Where does our wisdom uh, come from? Now, note that when James, in this passage, describes wisdom, he does not directly compare it to terms like foolishness or ignorance, which is sometimes the contrast that we see in the book of Proverbs. Okay? And instead, he makes a distinction between the source, the wisdom that is from above, a true or godly wisdom, and, and a false wisdom that is that is not from above. So why, make, why does James make this distinction? Why does he focus on the source rather than making a simple distinction between uh, wisdom and, and foolishness? I think there are a few reasons. And the first is that James does not need to convince his audience that wisdom, per se, is to be desired. Okay, James is writing... Uh, this book is written in the form of a letter. It's addressed to uh, the Jewish Christians who were dispersed uh, abroad. And, and broadly throughout this book, he's writing to people who desire to lead godly lives. That desire is, all, uh, is already there. I suspect that, like the people James is writing to, uh, many, if not all of us here today, would state a desire to be wise and not foolish, or James is speaking directly to us, right? So, he's, he doesn't need to convince us that wisdom is to be desired, at least not, not contrasting it to foolishness directly, uh, but what he does want to point out is that it is possible, maybe it's even easy, to confuse the source of wisdom, okay? So, we may find ourselves to have a type of wisdom and it may be easy to confuse, uh, to confuse what the source of that wisdom is. We may think we are wise. We may think this wisdom is of, of God. Uh, and yet we may be deceived. Okay, so James is going to, uh, James is going to help us to identify, uh, identify the source of wisdom. So how does he characterize the wisdom that is not from above? This is in verse uh, 15. The wisdom that is not from above is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. These are, these are terms that he uses together. as like a joint description of the wisdom that is not from above. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And, and I think these terms have different connotations to me. When I think of something that's earthly, I think of it as maybe uh, the connotation might be that it's less bad than something that is uh, demonic. But James lumps them all together as a joint description of wisdom that is not from above, meaning that there is, a, there is a type of wisdom that's from above, and then there is a type of wisdom that's not. It is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is, uh, it is demonic. It is, these are direct, earthly, unspiritual things are directly opposed to God. They do not depend on God. They do not live in harmony with godly wisdom. It we might think that something that's demonic should have a, like a label on it that just says this is clearly, clearly bad. But throughout the New Testament, we see many cases where it is easy to be deceived. We're cautioned against being deceived uh, in, in many places. And so James is going to offer us uh, some clear ways to, dis to distinguish whether we might be deceived regarding the source of our wisdom. So in, in the United States, uh, there's a Surgeon General of the public health service, and, and the Surgeon General issues broad guidance on how to improve health, you know, and reduce risk uh, of illness and injury. And now, we are often unaware of the guidance that the Surgeon General issues. I, you may not know who the Surgeon General is. Or, uh, and so, when there are cases where the use of a product carries an especially high risk to make sure that people are aware of that high risk, uh, the Surgeon General will issue a warning label that is attached to the product, uh, such as you might see on a package of, of cigarettes warning you that 
uh, that there are health risks from using, uh, using that product. Okay, but, but earthly wisdom does not usually come packaged, come labeled with a Surgeon General's warning on the box that, you know, that tells you that the product is demonic and is known to cause uh, heart disease. Right? Instead, it often comes in nice packaging with no warnings. Maybe it, it offers you uh, some, uh, some, uh, uh, some comfort, a promise of comfort, or a promise of benefit uh, to you. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, which was written by John Bunyan in the 1600s, over 300 years ago, uh, this book is a, is a Christian allegory. Uh, and uh, in many ways, the book is not nuanced. Uh, uh, the, the author gives the characters names that tell you right off the bat what that character is about. Uh, and the story focuses on a man named Christian who leaves his hometown, the city of destruction, uh, looking to find relief from a great burden of sin. And early in his journey, right at the beginning, he meets evangelist. Okay? An evangelist directs uh, John Bunyan to the wicked gate. All right, so you should be thinking of this like wisdom. How do, I, how do I live my life? How do I get rid of this great burden? An evangelist uh, says you need to go to yonder wicked gate, which he can't see at the beginning, but he gives him some direction, follow the light. Now, what is a wicked gate? A wicked, this is not wicked gate, this is wicked gate. Uh, it's a smaller, narrow gate, uh, and it's referring to Jesus. John 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. Jesus, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, the, you know, in this allegory, John, uh, Christian will be saved by entering in at the, at the wicked gate. But as he is on his way to the wicked gate, after meeting evangelist, he runs into Mr. Worldly Wise Man, who dwells in the town of Carnal Policy, which is a, 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 very, great, uh, a very great town. Okay, and worldly wise man observes that Christian is bearing a great burden. And so he addresses Christian, and he says, you know, where are you going? Uh, so, so burdened, and, and Christian responds, uh, you know, a burdened manner indeed, uh, as, ever I, you know, as ever I think poor creature had. Uh, this is the way that they, that they used to write. Um, and, uh, and he says, I'm going to the wicked gate, uh, for I'm informed that there is a way to relieve me of my heavy burden. And then worldly wiseman says, wilt thou hearken to me if I give thee counsel? Okay, so it's going to be framed in counsel. If it be good, Christian says, I will, for I stand in need of good counsel. And worldly wiseman says, I would advise thee that with all speed, get rid of thy burden. That sounds good, right? Get rid of thy burden, for you will never be settled in your mind until then. That's right. Uh, nor can you enjoy the benefits of the blessings which God has bestowed upon you until then. Okay, so he starts out with some common ground. This all sounds good. Let me get rid of my burden. Let me enjoy the blessings uh, of, of God. Uh, and, and then he says, you know, he basically tells Christian to ignore uh, the counsel of the evan of, of evangelist, beshrew him for his counsel, curse him for his counsel. And then he says, look, a lot, and then worldly wiseman tells Christian about all of the troubles he's going to encounter as he goes after going through that wicked gate and says, do you really want to endure, endure uh, wearisomeness, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death? These things are certainly true, having been confirmed by many testimonies, okay? So what is happening here? This wisdom of the earth is coming to Christian in a way that sounds uh, attractive. It has a measure of, of truth to it. There is a certain hardship that can be avoided, uh, but it is a wisdom that ultimately leads to a, a kind of maybe pleasures on earth or, or less suffering on earth, but, but eternal, uh, e eternal uh, punishment. Okay, so James is coming to us, and James is saying, who's wise among you? Well, first, let's distinguish between two types of wisdom, 
when you're going to answer this question, who's, the bigger question is, which type of wisdom uh, do you have? Do you have the wisdom from above, or do you have the wisdom that is not from above, and it's going to be potentially, uh, you, you know, you may think of yourself as wise, you may be deceived about the type of wisdom that you have. So if there are these two types of wisdom, we want to know which type of wisdom we have. How do we identify which type of wisdom? So that brings us to how wisdom is, the types of wisdom is, are characterized by their source. All right, so James says in the second part of, so this is verse 13, uh, <clears throat> he says, by, by his good conduct, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. First, James tells us that we can identify the source of our wisdom by something that is, uh, is observable. This is, uh, you know, kind of one of the very practical ways that, uh, of the book of James. We can observe this by our, our conduct. This is also helpful to know because there may be other things we do that are not sufficient to identify the source of our wisdom. Too often, we may use the wrong indicators for gauging whether we or others around us are wise. Okay, there are lots of things we could use to identify people who are wise that James does not tell us to use. These include things like eloquence or persuasiveness of speech. But persuasiveness and wittiness, eloquence, can, be, uh, can occur both for people who have worldly wisdom and those who have wisdom from above. So Proverbs 7.21 describes the adulteress with much seductive speech. She persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. But eloquence is not, uh, of course, isn't, isn't always bad. Uh, Moses was also not eloquent. Exodus 4.10 says, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. So he gave him Aaron to be his spokesperson. Okay, there, there is a benefit uh, uh, of eloquence. Eloquence by itself does not, uh, is not going to tell us whether or not the wisdom is from above or whether the wisdom is not from above. Similarly, education or expertise. Uh, education and expertise can be, can be very helpful, uh, but, but, but they by themselves do not tell us whether, the, whether someone is wise, whether they have the wisdom of God. Uh, or whether God, God uses both those who have education and those uh, who, who do not. Our age or our experience. Uh, God gives wisdom to the youth. God gives wisdom to those who are old, but there can be young and old people who do not have, uh, who do not have godly wisdom. Those indications are, are not sufficient for identifying uh, uh, the source of wisdom. Confidence. Okay. Confidence, just because somebody asserts something with great confidence does not mean that the source of their, uh, their wisdom is from, is from God. Or the number of followers that someone has. Or, or the measure of worldly success. Okay. Just because they've had a string of successes in the past, uh, in this life, in kind of some worldly measure, does not indicate uh, wisdom. James 2 verse 5 said, uh, which we have heard from already in, previously in this series, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So these are not gauges. Instead, James says, look to conduct. And what should this conduct then look like? So we're going to look for conduct. We can look for this conduct in our own lives. We can also look for it in the lives around us. James says that the, that the conduct that we display should be characterized by the meekness of wisdom. Right? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of, of wisdom. So if we are to understand true wisdom and to distinguish it from wisdom that is not from above, uh, we must understand what is meekness. There are a number of passages in the Bible that cover meekness. Uh, for example, Moses was meek. Uh, 
Moses was very meek, Numbers 12.3 says, more than all the people who were on the face uh, of the earth. Jesus, Jesus was meek. We can look at the lives that these men had, the, their, uh, uh, especially, of course, Christ, and, and see what meekness is and also what meekness is not. Sometimes we colloquially will use the term meekness to simply mean mild-mannered and, uh, and never asserting and never being assertive, uh, but those are not the biblical uh, qualities of, of meekness. But, uh, but meek, one of the passages where we can learn about meekness comes from Psalm uh, chapter 37. So I just want to touch on a couple of the characteristics of meekness because what, I, what we will see is that the qualities of meekness are the same as the qualities of wisdom from above that we will see in this passage. So the markers of meekness and wisdom and godly wisdom are very closely uh, connected, maybe indistinguishable. Okay, so uh, Psalm uh, chapter 37, verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the land, which you may recognize as a close parallel to the Beatitudes. Uh, uh, when, when Jesus said that the meek shall inherit the earth, the meek shall inherit the land, and then, and then the first part of Psalm 37 describes the characteristics uh, of, the, of the meek. In particular, that the meek, that they wait on the Lord, that they commit their ways to the Lord, that they are waiting for the Lord to act on their behalf. What would be the opposite of waiting on the Lord to act? Well, actually, we see this when the opposite might be described as, as what happens for the wisdom that is not from above. So going to back to our passage in James, James verse, uh, 3, verse 14 says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Not waiting for the Lord might be characterized by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, setting our own priorities first and not waiting for God to, to act for us. Meekness and wisdom are also both characterized by, being, by, by individuals who are slow to speak, slow to anger, and are quick to listen. Uh, Psalm thir- going back to the Psalm 37 passage where it's describing the meek, Verses, uh, verse, uh, verse 8 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. We saw earlier in James uh, chapter 1, verse 19, James talks about uh, speaking. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So meekness and wisdom are both characterized by being slow to speak, slow to anger, and, and quick to listen, okay? So let's talk a little bit more about the specific qualities from James chapter 3 when, J- when James is talking about the wisdom from above what the, when you look at the conduct to identify the type of wisdom we have, what are the characteristics of the conduct? What will that conduct uh, look like? And he's going to rank them. He's going to talk about one quality, which is kind of first importance, and then another list of qualities which are also uh, important. So he starts by saying in verse 17, after he has just talked about the qualities of wisdom that are not from above, jealousy and selfish ambition, uh, exemplifying wisdom that is not from above. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Okay, first pure. Now, purity is often used to describe a, a condition of our heart, uh, having, having no blemish, and only the Lord knows the true uh, condition of our heart. And, uh, and without God doing a work in our lives, without Him uh, Without him, through Christ, cleansing us from sin, there is no way for us to have a pure heart. So this first command is impossible without God. We cannot do this on our own. Isaiah 64, verse 6, is a passage that describes a people who, in living in iniquity apart from God, that even their best acts 
are impure. They are as filthy rags. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Uh, and then it goes on to say in verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. Those of you who have done pottery may know that when you get a lump of clay, the first thing you do is you work out the impurities. There can be air bubbles, there can be clods of dry clay, and you work those things out of the clay, and then you put it into a kiln and you fire it up. And through this process, the impurities come out of the clay and it turns into a beautiful vessel. This is the work of God in our lives. Uh, we, we see this many other places in Scripture. Psalm 51 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be uh, whiter than snow. We sang about this today in the songs. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So this purity that, we, that, that exemplifies wisdom is imputed by God. God directly gives it to us. This is not something that we are able to work up by just our good conduct. Good conduct will flow from this purity, but the good conduct does not create, uh, create the purity. Okay, so first, James says, the wisdom from above is first pure. So the conduct that comes, will come out of a, of a pure heart. Second, uh, the wisdom from above is first pure. Then it is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Okay, let's, let's talk about, about these qualities. It is also not jealous and characterized by selfish ambition, which is what the wisdom from uh, not from above is characterized by. So let's talk about these things. Let's start by talking about jealousy and selfish ambition. <clears throat> Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, so this is something that we uh, can think about. How, how often do we consider others more important than ourselves? Uh, you know, obviously this can work out in our families all the time where, uh, you know, taking care, of, taking care of chores, running errands. Uh, but it also comes just in our attitudes for how we, how we speak about others. Are we lifting? Are we building others up? Do we value them? Do we, using our words like Keith preached on last week, are our words building others up or are they building ourselves up? Are they, uh, that's what selfish ambition is. Let me, I have ambition to benefit my, myself. God says that if our actions are characterized by selfish ambition or jealousy, that we observe the situation someone else is in and wish that to be for ourselves, at, maybe at their expense, uh, that bitter jealousy, that these are not, uh, we, that we do not, that we lack wisdom from God. That is a marker that we have, you know, that's, welcome to Colorado. We have gone off the correct path if those are characteristics that we see. All right, he, what else? So that's something that, w- that, that would be a sign. The, the jealousy and selfish ambition are signs that we have gone too far. What are some of the signs that we, uh, that we do, in fact, have the wisdom of God? He says it is first peaceable. Okay, wisdom from God is, is peaceable. Maybe the opposite of peaceable would be, uh, would be contentious, okay, being contentious. Uh, gentle, it is gentle versus being harsh. Do you find yourself quick to be angry? Do you, uh, do you fight and quarrel? Those would be signs that you do not have uh, the wisdom of God. 2 Timothy 2.24-26 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Uh, you know, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. The, these are a characteristic of, of those who have godly wisdom is that they are peaceable and, uh, and gentle. It is not hard to look around in the world around us and to see the opposite of, of peaceable. I think a headline that I, that I saw last night was, uh, was about the bitter bickering that was happening kind of in the, in the political sphere. You know, this type of, of bitterness and... Uh, 
and, and, and being contentious and trying to have one's way over others is, a, is maybe a way that is, uh, is standard in the world among us. But that should not be true of the Christian. That is not the way of, uh, of godly wisdom. How about this? Open, open to reason. Maybe the opposite of that is being, being right. Okay, uh, This is something that uh, I think is, for me, resonates because I am in an industry where we write academic papers, and usually paragraph one is, here's a long list of existing research which is all wrong, here's my research which is right, and we assert our correctness in order to, to uh, be published, okay? And that ha- maybe, maybe that has its place uh, in, uh, uh, in, um, in the academic sphere. But, and, and obviously, we, you know, Open to reason does not mean that you do not assert something as being true. It does not mean that you do not address fallacies or falsehood or addressing sin. But what it means is that we are characterized by having a willingness and openness, maybe even inviting uh, reason, hearing, uh, hearing from others, being slow to speak, slow to listen, slow, slow to anger. Okay, so op- being open to reason. Proverbs 12:15 says that the, it's the way of the fool, okay, the way of the fool uh, is, is right in his own eyes. The fool is not uh, is not open to reason. Uh, full of mercy and good fruits is the next thing in the list. Full of mercy and good fruits is, is wisdom from above. Uh, why why do we show well what would be the opposite of this? Not showing mercy, maybe holding grudges or bitterness for wrongs bringing up past offenses against us, you know, when, uh, uh, um, you know, accusing others of, the, of these past offenses as opposed to being quick to forgive and showing mercy. Why, why should we show mercy? Well, hasn't God shown us mercy first? He has shown us great, abundant mercy. We, too, are to show uh, mercy to others. So, if we find ourselves acting in ways that we are not full of mercy, then we do not have the wisdom of God. Being impartial is the next thing on this list. Uh, being impartial, we, we learned earlier in James, James already talked about showing uh, partiality. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And he talked about being partial based on people's station uh, in life, the rich versus the poor. Uh, this if we see this impartial, we see partiality, then we are not uh, exemplifying the wisdom of God. Finally, sincere. Okay, being being sincere. Maybe you've heard this definition or that this etymology before about sincere. That sincere means without wax. The story goes that potters would make clay vessels and put some wax in to hide the cracks. The Oxford English Dictionary says that 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 is a fake etymology. Um, Ironically, being, being the word sincere. But sincere does mean that it is, it is faithful, it is, it is pure, that it is genuine, it is not, it is not fake. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I am highly encouraged about Redeemer, more than I have ever seen in, in congregations that I've been in before, is the desire to interact with each other in settings that are conducive to sincere interactions, okay? Not, it, it's, it's hard on a Sunday morning when you say, how are you? You know, I'm doing well. And by the way, I think we can say that in sincerity. Hasn't the Lord been, been good to us throughout all of our, throughout all of our troubles? We, we are doing well. But being able to have uh, those close interactions uh, where we can be honest and sincere with each other, whether that's in uh, community groups or in even smaller settings, one-on-one, that this sincerity is part uh, of uh, what comes out, sincere conduct comes out of godly wisdom. If we see ourselves, you know, what would be the opposite of sincerity? Maybe, maybe it's that we are putting forward an image of ourselves uh, that is not a true representation of what, of what we are like, or being opposed to having those types of sincere interactions. That would be uh, an indication that we do not have, uh, that we do not have godly wisdom. Okay, 
James has given us a, a long list of things we can use to identify whether we have wisdom, whether we don't. Uh, it may be worth, you know, you can think about what are, the, what are these applications to your own life. There are, there are many, you know, think if you are married, uh, uh, having, you know, being gentle to, with each other, being gentle with your children, being, being patient. These are characteristics of, of godly wisdom. By the way, I think it's easy. Uh, I, I find it very easy for me to observe flaws. Uh, it's especially easy for me to observe flaws in other people, not, not myself. And, uh, and as a result, uh, one takeaway from this passage could be that, uh, that maybe I could start to emphasize more the, the ways in which I, I see characteristics that are not consistent with godly wisdom in my family's life. Um, uh, but James is telling us here are characteristics, here is conduct that exemplifies godly wisdom. When we see, one of the ways we can build each other up is by looking for the things that do exemplify godly wisdom and encouraging each other. I mean, after all, God is working in our lives. He has given us Christ, He's given us wisdom, and we should see that conduct coming out. And when we see the conduct that is consistent with godly wisdom, we should be pointing that out. So it's not all about the, the, you know, looking for ways in which we've gone wrong and, and, and always focusing on that, but it's also constantly focusing on, uh, on Christ and the wisdom from God and, and encouraging each other when we, when we see um, growth, uh, praising God for the growth and wisdom that, that we see in those around us. You know, when you come home at night and you know, if you see uh, those, of, those of you who may work, you may come back to a spouse that's at home uh, and if there is, uh, if you see your spouse being patient, uh, peaceable uh, toward the children, encourage them and remind them of how encouraged you are to see uh, God working this wisdom that you see them as wise. They may feel like everything is falling apart, right? But you see them, you see the conduct that is consistent uh, with wisdom, even though you haven't arrived. Uh, there are clearly troubles, but, uh, but you can see the evidence of wisdom. Let, uh, you can encourage uh, each other in those. Those of you who are maybe are our children, uh, remember that wisdom is exemplified by being open to reason. Oh, also, those of you who are young, those of you who are old, uh, you know, wisdom is exemplified by being open to reason, being willing to uh, to hear other people's views, uh, reasonable views, and being. Um, uh, being willing, being willing to listen, uh, and having you know, not always uh, simply asserting that one that one is right. Let's remember to to encourage each other both in the ways that we are showing uh, wisdom, exemplifying godly wisdom, and helping each other when we identify ways in which we in which we may not have godly wisdom. All right. So what have what has James done so far? So James has to, has pointed out in this passage that first there. Uh, we need to characterize wisdom. There are, wisdom can be identified uh, by, characterized by its source. There is the wisdom from above, and there is wisdom that is not from above, that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It is not of God. And that we can identify which type of wisdom we have based on our conduct, okay? That our conduct uh, can be like mile mileposts that tell us uh, whether we are on the right path or not. So finally, let's talk about wisdom's consequences. Why, you know, why does it matter which type of wisdom we have? Why should we be concerned if we observe uh, conduct in our lives uh, that is not consistent with wisdom that is from above? And the reason is that these two types of wisdom lead to very different ends. Uh, so let's see, what, what are the final fruits of earthly wisdom? What does that lead us to? In Pilgrim's Progress, there was worldly wise men that, that told uh, Christian not to enter in at the wicket gate, but instead uh, to, to take another path where he would enjoy earth's, uh, earth's pleasures. But what does James tell us about the end of earthly wisdom? Well, he tells us it in verse 16. When he talks about, uh, he says, there will be, what, what is the end result? There will be disorder and every vile uh, practice. What, what is disorder? Is, is disorder 
just referring to, you know, the things are not put away in the house uh, or, or a messy, uh, kind of messy garage, that's, uh, that, that's, not, uh, that's not so much disorder. Disorder is, is a lack of peace. Actually, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, it says, God is not a God of confusion. By the way, that's the same uh, word as used in James for the word disorder, confusion or disorder. God is not a God of confusion, but, uh, but of peace. Uh, and so the, the opposite uh, of peace is this disorder and vile practice. So where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, uh, these lead, this earthly wisdom leads to disorder and vile practice. It is not an end, uh, end of peace. By contrast, uh, in verse 18, James tells us what is the final product of godly wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? So the final product of godly wisdom is, is a peace in our lives uh, and a harvest of righteousness that, uh, that is sown in peace. Right? Righteousness in our lives. I, I think all of us here... Uh, desire to harvest righteousness, uh, righteousness in our lives. And, and James is helping us to say, look, based on conduct that you see in your life now, you can see whether the end result of the, the underlying you know, wisdom that is generating that conduct, is that going to lead to, to righteousness or is that going to lead uh, to disorder? So you may, what if you look at your life and you say, uh, you recognize that you lack godly wisdom, that you look at these, you read these characteristics of wisdom that is from above versus wisdom that is from below, and uh, I think we, I think, uh, it, you know, we could all look down this list and see ways in which our conduct does not reflect uh, godly wisdom. So, so what do we do? Where, where do we get wisdom? Well, James has not left us alone in where to get wisdom. Uh, and uh, let's talk about a few, a few different ways that we can approach it. The Bible talks about that, you know, for, for obtaining wisdom. So the first one comes just directly from James. Uh, James says, if, uh, says to pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and, uh, and it will be given to him. Solomon, who, you know, is very wise, was a very wise man, he, did, he was not born wise. He was wise because he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him that wisdom. So the first thing we should be doing is we should be asking uh, is asking God for wisdom. This is, this is something that we should be doing on, just on a very regular basis, uh, is, is asking God to give, us, to give us greater wisdom. Or second is to read the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, for the, word, for, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The, the Word of God gives us uh, wisdom. And by reading God's Word, uh, we grow in wisdom. Uh, James chapter 1 says, says to receive with meekness the implanted Word. Okay, so by, uh, by reading God's Word, uh, hearing it, and then do, doing what it says, we, we grow in wisdom. So there's praying, asking God for wisdom. There's reading God's Word, which is the wisdom that he has given to us, his word. Uh, we also grow in wisdom by listening to others, specifically those who you identify as wise. Uh, and the same qualities that James tells us we can use to look into our own lives to identify, uh, to identify godly wisdom, we can look around us. We can identify those who are demonstrating through their conduct, primarily through their conduct, uh, and through meekness, uh, the presence of godly wisdom. 
Proverbs 1, verses 5 to 6 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So one of the ways that we become wise is we hear, we listen. Uh, we listen to the words of, of the wise. Uh, of course, being careful to, to listen to those who have the wisdom of God. And finally, we obtain wisdom by recognizing the ultimate source of wisdom, which is, which is Christ, okay? By coming to Christ, there is no wisdom uh, apart from Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone, something greater than Solomon is here, referring to himself. He is the something greater than Solomon. That is because Solomon had the wisdom of God, but Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And, uh, and Christ, who came, you know, came to earth as, as, a, as a sacrifice, for, for mankind, for sin, uh, and for all who believe in him will wash their hearts clean, will, will, will dwell in his people. He is, uh, he is the wisdom of God. And he, you know, for those of you who are here who, who are believers, this is, this is a great encouragement that Jesus uh, is giving us wisdom freely. He is the source of wisdom uh, by relying more on him rather than relying on ourselves, we grow uh, in wisdom. And if you do not have not trust Christ for your salvation, then he says there is, there is no wisdom, there is no godly wisdom apart, apart from Christ. That is how you grow in wisdom is by, uh, is by coming, coming to Jesus. So James has given us some practical road markers for the Christian those walking through life wanting to have wisdom. He says, who is wise among you? And begins by characterizing the types of wisdom. There's wisdom from above. There's wisdom that is not from above. He tells us how the, the characteristics of how to, how to identify the source of wisdom. Wisdom that is either from above or below can be identified primarily by conduct, by good conduct uh, that, uh, that reflects Christ and, and, that, and that benefits others, and that the end result uh, of godly wisdom is a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Let's pray together.